Welcome back to Lamniforms Radio. I'm your host, Ian Corey. Joining me today for the third time is Joseph Schaefer. While I've previously spoken to Joseph in his capacity as a music critic and as one of the organizers of Northwest Terror Fest, a multi-day heavy metal festival in Seattle, this time around I had Joseph on to talk about his band, Colony Drop, who just released their first album of blazing fast, high-energy throwback metal titled Brace for Impact. Along the way, we talk about how his writing about metal influenced his music, how he settled on his unique vocal style, and why he likes writing lyrics about anime like Gundam Wing and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Hope you enjoy the episode! We still got it. I don't know how much of a thing it is to get, but I appreciate how much you care about the chemistry of our of our being able to clap sort of in time across two, three time zones. Uh, Listen, as <laughs> as someone who is like a a creative force in a musical outlet who has literally no intrinsic talent, this means <laughs> a lot to me, and it's weird to me that you're trying to undercut it i maybe i should walk should i because i can go go? (laughs) already off to a great start with the third appearance of joseph schaefer on the lambda forms radio podcast thanks for joining me (laughs) you're welcome here's the question i was gonna ask before you shat on the things i value um (laughs) the question i was going to ask is is there like a prize for like being a third time is there like Mm. Well, I mean that this makes you tied. Wait, well, let me think. So you have to beat Frank Meadows. Frank Meadows has been on the podcast more than anyone else. Uh, Five based on scrolling through sound cloud while drunk two days ago. Four, four, four times total. Okay. So I've done like one on with Frank, just solo the two Mars Volta pods and the one Steely Dan pod that we did. Okay. So you're, you're in second now, you're very firmly in second, but okay. You know, silver medal. I can live with silver. I never thought I'd get a single medal in my life. So silver's good. (laughs) Is that why you sing in a heavy metal band as an adult? Uh, certainly like the self deprecation is like Uh part of it is like the, the feeling of being a loser is definitely Mm -hmm. like a piece of that decision. Um, I don't know. You sing in a rock band. Why are you asking me these questions? You know, the same thing. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, that's why I ask. Right. You know? Right. Um, but you know, we were, you were joking about being a, a, a member of a band without any intrinsic talent. And I remember you talking about being a bassist years ago. So that's how I, I mostly thought of you as a musician, but when did you start, uh, singing in bands? In bands, I started singing in bands in, well, I started singing in bands in high school. They just weren't good. Mm-hmm. It's also the same time I started playing bass. I'm just not a good bassist, but I feel like it's more socially acceptable to be a bad bassist than to be a bad singer. 
I would say that like a lot of the people that I know that are not that don't like identify as musicians, the instrument that they play is probably bass. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Where it's like there's an entry levelness to the bass in a lot of situations that is not quite present with guitar and and drums in particular. But uh, I don't know. I feel like in like hardcore and metal, the singer is kind of in a weird non-musical musical position a lot of the time, you know? Sure. I, I think oftentimes there's a weird paradox to being like lead vocal, no instrument. Right. right. Because like lead vocal, no instrument seems absolutely disposable at all times. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like being an office worker in that sense. Cause it's like, Oh, the stock dips half a percent. Goodbye. <laughs> like you're the first one to the curb. Right. But at the same time, and this isn't me being self aggrandizing. I'm just thinking about like rock history. Like I'm truly trying totally. to be like, I'm thinking Robert Criscow right now, but like vocalists mm-hmm. make vocalists make bands. They kind of do. Yeah. Even on an underground level. Right. Which is also more pressure. Exactly. It's like kind of like the high risk, high reward thing. There's kind of like a, or, you know, high ceiling, low floor with vocalists where I think, and especially in a lot of extreme metal genres, you can kind of skate by on not being necessarily the best singer, but you, you do have this added pressure of like, it's funny how you say that, like they're the most replaceable member when at a certain point it flips to becoming the most irreplaceable member, you know? Right. Where like say Rob Halford, Bruce Dickinson, you know, et cetera. Like the, the narrative is when those singers leave the band, the band gets fin- like the identity is completely lost. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But at the same time, there's literally nothing more cringe. I'm saying literally badly here, but like there's nothing more cringe maybe, or few things cringier than, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the lead singer leaves and gets a bunch of scabs and tries to keep the band name. Right. Yes. The Christian death phenomena, you know? I mean, look, Chris, if it wasn't for my wedding, I'd probably be seeing not so (laughs) Christian death and trying to think like, am I getting the same hit that I get off of only theater of pain? And like that debate will literally be the entertainment I would get during that show. Right. Puzzling over like, am I enjoying this? Is this as good as it could be? Right. Like, is the, is the game that you're having? Sure. So, I mean, I guess like, so right off the bat, if, the, if this is the first of the three Joseph Schaefer appearances that you're listening to, one of the crucial things about you is you're not just a musician, but you're also a writer about music. And the fact I, I, I've been wondering while listening to the colony drop record brace for impact, which I love by the way. Thank you. Um, how those two things have kind of interacted with each other, like how your awareness of the sort of tropes and history and patterns of being a heavy metal singer or heavy metal in general have affected how you approach being a front man in this band. Thank you for asking. Nobody's asked that. Okay, good. Although <laughs> I, I get a lot of, um, I think if he's a writer, not a singer, I mean, you'd be like, well, yeah, you know, there's been some stuff. I don't talk about it, but, 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 but it wasn't very good. But, but, but like, like mm-hmm. that is the stock answer. But 
I will say this as a music writer, I've like, I stumbled upon a lot of recurring criticisms, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, critique themes, right. And not necessarily like critiques against like, um, an individual band, but like critiques about, um, heavy metal as a genre, right. Or maybe where heavy metal is like quote unquote right now. Yeah. Um, some of, some of which, which tends to refer to like the last 30 years, usually when it's deployed. Right. In my experience, but <laughs> exactly. This one, well, this is part of it, right? This is like, mm-hmm. this is like part of that. Right. But I think like one of those that I, that I've voiced here on this show. Hi, hello. Listen back to my first episode talking about Northwest terror fest. Is that like, I really like heavy metal as pop music. Right. Right. And like, this wasn't like a piece of the project going into it, which I think like listeners don't know, but you know, because you've heard me talking about this project from like very early on, just like offhandedly, just us talking. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, part of the project fairly early on became like, okay, how much can we flirt with pop and hookiness without like losing an essential identity? That's like, was a big strategic point or just a hobby horse, just like a neurosis really like mm-hmm. uh, not to like hive mind it or, or 3d chess. It. It's just like a thing that we cared about. Right. And totally. while exploring that, I did get to this point where I thought, you know, as a band Condrop is a little bit like the ultimate form of critique. Right. Mm-hmm. Or for me currently a new mode of expressing those recurring critiques. You know what I mean? Is it's like, okay, what if I, you're proving through action, what you would have written to say about another band. Like you're setting an example. Basically you're putting your, your aesthetic taste on the line by like actually doing it instead of just describing it. Is that fair to say? That's probably fair to say. I guess I'd think of it as, I guess I'd think of it as like, you've heard the old adage of those who can't do teach. Mm-hmm. Right. I think like people say that in to you in high school or in college specifically to make people who are wind up being critics, like feel bad about themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause like, Oh look, I'm a critic. I already don't have enough to feel bad about myself. Look at my inability to pay the rent um, or do anything <laughs> else. Right. Oh, here more, more uh, self doubt. Good. That'll make everything better for everybody. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I am one of those people who like internalized that. And so like that has been like kind of like a Damocles sword in my head for years and years and years. And so like with working with like the other four dudes in Colony Drop, the idea did sort of pop into my mind of like, okay, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. Right. Can your vocal cords cash the check your fucking fingers? Right. (laughs) And so I was I was reading this one of the interviews you uh, you did with our previous place of quote unquote employment. Oh, for fuck's uh, sake! Invisible oranges. <laughs> yeah, and I I saw you mentioning that like you have sort of gone through a bit of a transformation as a vocalist in this band, going from doing more straight up growling stuff to the kind of style that ended up on the record. And is that part of that process of like putting your money where your mouth is, like? What does that mean for you to, to, to put your neck on the line in that way? Like, 
what what sort of arguments do you see yourself putting forward in your vocal performance if that question makes sense in this context no that question does make sense i think it's two different things i think i i, I kind of want to approach that from two different angles and i'll just go sure one by one so um i'm actually not one of the people who dislikes extreme singing i mm-hmm. actually often really really like i mean what people people here have read me or listen to me talk or like seen stuff i book or like whatever i love growling totally right? like yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to i wanted to be a growler i actually didn't like really envision myself as like a clean singer right which uh clean in air quotes yeah right yeah. like legible singer is maybe the better way to put it understandable <laughs> it's the other guys who are like you sing notes i'm like there are notes i i'm not certain at any given time which the notes are i'm doing a bad job selling my band right now um <laughs> But yeah, no, it was, it was, the, it was the other dudes in the band who came to me and said, Hey, we feel your clean singing voice has something unique to offer mm-hmm. that they kind of like got off on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Which wasn't always the case for me because my clean singing voice, I don't know for a long time, this isn't the case anymore, but like for a long time, I'd still remember like, Oh, me being in junior high with an acoustic guitar I can't play, trying to sing Nothing Else Matters. Mm. I'm not James Hetfield, derp, derp, derp. And I know that about myself, and I feel self-conscious, and so on and so forth, right? Right. And that was like a really big hurdle in the way of me like exploring that piece of myself. Mm -hmm. So doing clean singing in colony drop isn't me critiquing heavy metal at large. That's sure. Me proving something to myself, I guess is one way to think of it. Mm -hmm. But with regard to like the vocals being legible. Yeah. That's a fucking critique. Right. And I've like, I've like said this in other interviews too, where it's like, and I, I realize that like a lot of modern bands, a lot of vocalists are like vocalists by default, right? They don't like want to be the vocalist. It's, there is no other vocalist. They're like usually like rhythm guitar or bass player or like increasingly now it's like drummer. They're like mm-hmm. into, it seems like there's a lot of people who are into the song as an instrumental recognize that like there ought to be a vocal. And beyond that, don't really put a lot of stake in that, but by hook or by crook or by whatever, they happen to be like the person in that formation that like is best suited to growl, even if that doesn't mean good at it, it just means good enough at it. That seems Or have a passion for it necessarily beyond like a more like utility based, like the song needs it. I'm capable of doing it. I will do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm probably being too harsh in my previous statement, each according to their needs or each from them in accordance with their needs in this instance. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that whether as a result of insecurity or, or aesthetic purposes, or just frankly, like, Harsh vocals are tough. They're really fucking tough, 
like yeah. having done a lot of them, like I know they're tough and I'm not the best at them. So uh, I, I feel like there's been like a trend recently of, of people let's just wash it in reverb. Mm-hmm. Let's just EQ it funny, crunch it and say, Oh, that's the vocal. And the lyrics are whatever death or black metal imagery I have in the moment that feel good enough. And to a lot of the musicians, it's like, that's not the point, which is fine. Like I understand that phenomenon, right? However, Mm -hmm. that's not me. And as a listener, I'm okay with that, but I want more than that often. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a serviceable quality to a lot of vocals and a lot of harsh, like extreme metal and like extreme hardcore contexts where it's like, it's almost not even about the fact that there's a human being doing it. It's like just kind of in a, an obligatory part of the aesthetic experience. Totally. Uh, and like it kind of goes, I don't know. This is like a weird way to put it, but like it's, it, you would never hear these vocalists guesting on each other's songs. Cause it wouldn't make a difference, you know? Exactly. You made a great point there, right? Because uh, weirdly enough, I get a lot of inspiration from hip hop. That sounds so corny to say, but like, you know, I love hip hop. Yeah. This is at no this secret. point, it's like a generational thing. Where, right. Like, I don't feel like that needs to be like qualified as like the weird thing that Joseph likes. It's like surprise, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm glad it does seem like we as like a culture loosely are maybe getting past that hobby horse and all mm-hmm. of the weird connotations of taking issue with rap music. Right. right. Um, Especially when it's like, it's extreme metal. Vocals, just a rhythmic exercise. Well, what is the sin qua non of rhythmic vocal exercise? A burp, burp, burp. Is it hip hop? It is Vocal tone, intonation, rhythm, phrasing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is like, if you're not listening to rap to learn about that kind of, uh, that vocabulary, then you're really, really missing out. (laughs) Really missing out. And it seems like a lot of, a lot of bands are. So I, I did when doing the con drop record, spend a lot of time with hip hop doing, doing the like, here, let me listen to push a T. Uh, that's an a rhyme B a B C B a C but like, and I, I would, mm-hmm. I would do that. Not that that necessarily shows up on the album as such today, but doing that kind of research was informative, but circling back around to your original point, yeah, doing legible lyrics with with traceable rhyme pattern was mm-hmm. important to me because I wanted to show how powerful that could be. And even if it seems simplistic or in a certain way playing to the cheap seats, so to speak, even though I don't like the class connotations of that, verbiage but whatever like Mm. i think there is a certain kind of unifying almost like primal power there that i was really anxious to tap into you know like i believed it existed and i needed to like access it for myself Mm -hmm. to to believe in the project to, to some extent yeah i like i remember when i first heard the demo for the for colony drop I remember being like, oh, whoa, that is a choice to sing like that. And like, 
I say that knowing that there's, there's this kind of like that person's really putting themselves out there sort of experience, which is like when it's your friend, it's like, well, I'm supportive no matter what I'll, you know, I'll reconcile this. But I feel like it's the kind of thing. It's the sort of vocal performance that is like way more risky to sound kind of ridiculous to someone who doesn't have that built in bias. But it also means that like, that's the the tension that makes people really like it if they get on board with what you're doing, right? Like my just to go on my own particular feelings about like heavy metal vocals in quote unquote the modern era, however you want to define that, is that it's a lot of dudes with who have taken a lot of vocal lessons but have a cold is sort of how I would sure. describe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you are not wrong, bro. <laughs> Um, and what I miss about sort of the, a lot of the bands that I really got into the genre through, and I I use that term kind of loosely because it encompasses both like the new metal shit that I like and also the like classic eighties metal shit that I like. Um, both of those genres have singers that sound like deranged children entertainers, you know? And like, that's a particular energy that I really miss in heavy metal is the kind of like psyched out, like TV host energy. I feel like that's been replaced by a much more professionalized version of like, quote unquote, clean singing in metal. Sure. And so I really appreciated this record because it's like, you're willing to sound kind of ridiculous in order to sound badass when it works, you know? Well, this is sort of funny because like in a weird way. Okay. Also, listeners who haven't paid attention, Ian and I have another podcast where we talk <laughs> about anime. We kind of went on one about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Listen to that episode. It's really good. Um, your project and our project together and my project with the other guys, I haven't really talked about this with like either of you, but they did become sort of like two halves of a circle in my life where like the one mm. would feed into one and the other would, would feed in to the other. Um, and that wasn't an intentional linking, by the way, that was happenstance. Con Drop was not meant to be like an anime inspired band. I didn't come up with the band name. That was something the other guys brought in. And I was like, I've got a podcast where I talk about Evangelion with one of my best friends. Burr, 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 burr. And they were like, oh, you like smart anime. Have you read Jojo's Bizarre Adventure? We should talk about it. And then I... I brought that to you and I like, mm. and as I was like, I got really into Joseph's Bar Adventure and I came into band practice one day and this all sort of the vocal performance all sort of started when literally, I think we were just talking about Wolf Brigade because uh-huh. Wolf Brigade has this EP EP called a D beat Odyssey. <laughs> and I think I just said, <laughs> Hey, jackasses. What if we just did a song called Jojo's D-Beat Adventure? And we're all just giggling about it. Like, that's dumb. That's fun. And I, I went home and there was like an MP3 waiting in my inbox from Ben, one of the guitars. He's like, guess what, fucker? I just wrote it. Um, <laughs> and it was good. And I thought it was a joke. And, and then, you know, a few weeks later, they're like, do we want to learn that riff? Okay, that riff's cool. So we started like rehearsing it. Right. And then if you're writing even for fun, a song called Jojo's D beat adventure, you shouldn't sing it while you're growling. Like right. you should 
sing it like you're one of the voice actors in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And I also, at that time, very recently, the last Napalm Death album had come out. Mm-hmm. Well, on that album, they do like more kind of like dirty clean singing. Mm-hmm. It's a creative choice they make. And we all kind of got into that album together. And, and so that, was, that idea was sort of like in the, in the miasma anyway, right? So, okay, fuck it. Let me just like sing this song as if I'm one of the voice actors from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. But Will this if, be Throws of Joy in the Jaws of Defeatism? Of, yes, correct. That is the album. Throws of Joy mm-hmm. in the Jaw of Defeatism. So just as a lark, the idea became, became okay, sing that song like you're one of the voice actors from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, but if they were the singer for Napalm Death. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, that, I hear it 100%. The kind of like bellowing uh, British D-beat crust guy voice, but with right. like, if that guy was the villain in a like Saturday morning cartoon. Exactly. You know? And that's like, that's far out for a lot of people. That is like a weird decision. I knew that when I was doing it, but I was comfortable doing it because I thought this is a gag. This is just us trying to like have fun, right? It was very surprising to me when months later, the other members of the band came to me and said, what if that was your whole thing? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like really taken aback by that. Um, I was on one for a minute. Yeah, but when a bunch of really talented musicians come to you and say, hey, we want to change everything we're doing to fit this one thing you do, you, you don't say no. Right. That's a lot of trust. It's a lot of trust. It was a lot of, it was, and that was, I was, it was tough. Like, that was a difficult decision to make. And you're not supposed to think about the audience, maybe, or it's supposed to be all about self-expression and whatever. But I, I did, like, I had this moment where I was like, People are gonna fucking hate this. People right. are gonna people are gonna like I'm gonna be a fucking clown. Um can I do this? Um it was some deep self-doubt, frankly. But okay. Let's let's try it. Mm-hmm. And um this sounds like I, I feel subconscious even like answering the question this way because it sounds not anti-intellectual, but um, it's not very exciting to hear me just say, oh, we tried it out and it sounded good. But like, it's kind of as simple as that. And it's all the other stuff that you're bringing up that gets in the way of making that simple observation sometimes, you know, that's exactly right. It was the, the, the difficult part was bulldozing everything else out of the way to just make an obvious decision, mm-hmm. right? And then once we could do that, once I could do that and make the obvious decision, it just became physical. Like it just became, okay, what vocal warmups do you need to do? What, what do you need to do physically to be able to do this for 30 minutes without killing yourself? Right. And well, then, I imagine it's, it's easier to, I don't know, like it's your, it's your throat, so you tell me, but like, do you find it's easier to do this style versus like the full on cookie monster for 30 minutes straight? No, the mm. cookie monster is way fucking easier. I see way easier. Like cleans are harder for me. 
But that mm-hmm. may be because I spent the first 30 years of my life. Well, not 30, right? I didn't listen to Harsh Phelps until I was, what, 15? I don't know. So I've spent a long time being like, oh, I want to be a growly guy. Right. So well, every every person comes into this world doing harsh vocals. So <laughs> physiologically, it's only we, you're correct. <laughs> we're taught to sing clean, you right? Know? <laughs> it's true. Cleans cleans really hard, and I do like unclean cleans, which is really hard. Particular, um, yeah. It's it's a specific thing, um, mm-hmm. but. I'm never going to be an anime voice actor. I'm never going to be Vegeta. (laughs) I might as well just yell about being Vegeta in a song. (laughs) Why not? Um, so kind of a, there's a few, a few different questions that are kind of coming up here. Um, I guess as long as we're talking about the vocals, your particular part of it, like, once you made that decision to really commit to like this particular character, this particular voice, were there like beyond push a T beyond hip hop, were there other like metal singers or like singers in general that you looked to as points of reference for how to engage on a track, like how to phrase your lyrics, like how to present yourself in this kind of more legible charismatic front person kind of way. Tons, mm-hmm. tons and tons. I mean, there is like, there's a long tradition of the weird, wacky, clean singer mm-hmm. in, in metal and like alternative rock. Um, it's a, it's a sordid tradition in some senses. If you look at fan reactions, yeah. um, but it's there and why not tap in? And so, okay. So like the most obvious examples, Mike Patton. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Right. I mean, pick any song from Angel Dust or Afterward, um, mm-hmm. or even like a song like Cone of Shame from their reunion record, which is like, it's kind of half-baked, three-quarters baked, let's say. But like, his vocal performance on that is really wild. And um, I, I only thought about this recently, but there is a certain Mr. Bungleness to what we do. I guess, even hmm. though we don't do the like hairpin turn genre change thing so much. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a different kind of band, but sure. what, what do you see as the bungleness of, of colony drop? I'm curious. Um, we play fast and loose with genre. Uh, uh-huh. that's by intention. Like it's all thrash or, or extreme trad metal, I guess sort of, but like, we all have very uh, Catholic taste to put it in some way. So like there's a lot of post-punk in it rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Everyone's into Prague. There's full on like 30 seconds of us trying to be King Crimson multiple times on the record. Ryan really loves Boston. So like, like there's uh-huh. times when I'm like, please stop trying to be like a cock rock band from 1976 <laughs> right this second. That's really hard for me to sing over. Um, <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We, we play fast and loose with genre in a way. I, I think we're proggy. I wouldn't call us progressive with a capital P. But there's a certain, and a certain rhythmic sense that is intrinsic to Ben and Ryan 
in that they like to write riffs that don't begin on what starts what feels like the one. Yeah, one of the I think one of the catchiest riffs on the whole record to me is the chorus of Heart Wrench. Yeah. Which has that like as the sort of the the squeal note on the one, but the actual phrase is entirely off the the downbeat. They you know, do this shit all, these, all the time. Yeah. That's I it's it really works because it it catches the ear in a way that, you know, just straight pounding quarter notes or the you know, I know we can talk about melodic death metal and all that, the the way that that's all just like upbeats, basically having it be a slightly more interesting phrasing definitely stands out. You know, it's noticeable. It's what makes that song more than just an at the gates ripoff or rather mm-hmm. like that song in particular, like I would have not wanted to include it if it weren't for that, because I would probably would think this is too much like darkest hour, which is to say it's already too much like at the gates. Right. Um, which is, it's too much like Sodom. Um, but (laughs) there's a lot there, but the other thing is like, you know, uh, Ari, our bassist has a long history in alt rock and Mm -hmm. he's a doom guy. He's like a drone doom guy was his career before this. Right. And my, our drummer, Eric is God. He's one in a million. He loves power violence and jam rock. He loves like spaz and fish. Is he from, where is he from? He's from Jersey. Okay. This makes sense. Does it? It's, it's like, I know the exact kind of people that are into both of those things. And I can imagine the sweet spot. You know, and it's like only from the East Coast could this person emerge. <laughs> right. So, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> I think at one of the point in time we were we were listening back to the record, I think this is probably me, but I think I said, oh, look, one doomer and four grind idiots accidentally reverse engineer Judas Priest. <laughs> <laughs> right. You cut the, the extreme metal with enough of the doom and it just kind of slides back there. Just- <laughs> inadvertently it really it really was inadvertent how did we get on this anyway right weird singers yeah mike Patton's obvious but he's got like so much color and he can do so much that he's sort of like atypical even though he's probably the most popular example of this right i was thinking about people like bobby bit bobby blitz from overkill lg from entombed king fowley from deceased but, but, but you could probably bring up uh, King Diamond's also like atypical. But if you ignore the falsetto, well, but the the falsetto is just his particular version of this same thing, right? You know, like sure, it's it's the bold choice that's likely to alienate a lot of people. But you're also right that like his his deeper vocals are also weird as hell, you right? Know? You you almost don't think about how weird his like verse voice is because you're just like, wow, the falsetto, the fuck is that? (laughs) And you're like not listening to 90% of a dangerous meeting, which is just him being like a weird voice actor. Yeah, exactly. No, he's, he is the archetypical example of the deranged children's entertainer metal singer. Right. In in my mind, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, I think of the guy, the dude from Exodus, whose uh, whose name I'm forgetting on the first record. Oh, Paul Bailoff. Yeah, 
also yeah. sort of in this lineage, I think, as like that guy can't really sing, but it's like that is a whole lot of personality, you know, uh, and it like sells that band in a lot of ways. Sure. I, I think that's another one of those critiques is like, I, I feel like with vocals in particular, a lot of personality has been kind of scrubbed out. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's intentional, but maybe it's just a byproduct of the way records are made. I'm speculating at this point. Like I, it, we're veering now away from critique and into me being like, I don't know why this is the trend. I haven't examined it enough, but I, I do recognize, I think that a lot of personality has left vocals, which is weird considering this, the genre that was made by Ozzy Osbourne and Rob Halford and Lemmy from Motorhead and like yeah. all of these people who have like distinct kooky voices. Yeah. Not conventionally good voices by any stretch, but like instantly recognizable the minute that you hear them singing. It's like, yep, that's that guy, you know? And they're embodying a character, right? They're projecting, right. they're, they're projecting a personality mm-hmm. for your evaluation. Do you, right. what do you feel like is the, the personality of colony drop Joseph? Okay. In the colony drop anime, I'm the villain and Ryan and Ben are the protagonists. Uh huh. They're Sasuke and Naruto. I'm Orochimaru. Like they're supposed to overcome their differences to unite and defeat me in every song. That's the narrative. <laughs> Does that yeah. work? No, yeah, I feel that. Like, it's these, like, heroic, you know, back-to-back leads kind of thing. Right. With a guy get, being like, I'll get you next time! You know? That's like, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. Yeah. It, I don't know if that has, I mean, that might not resonate for some people. But I can't think of doing anything else. I was going to ask about this. Is like, you know... I feel like one of the other things that's endemic to metal is like, this is the band that sings about Gundam. This is the band that sings about Egyptian mythology, aliens, what have you. Like, there's kind of this, like, we do blank association, which definitely can help you get a lot of attention, but can also be sort of a limiting box. And I was curious about whether how you wanted to sort of balance the use of Gundam, the use of JoJo's, all that kind of anime sci-fi stuff versus making songs that would appeal to a metalhead audience that didn't necessarily have those same points of cultural reference. I'm still threading that needle. Mm-hmm. Um, I thread that needle every day. Well, not literally every, that sounds so fucking self aggrandizing. Um, every time we're in the practice space and we're writing something, I'm, I am thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It was really important to me that you not need to know even what mobile suit Gundam is to get into the record. Same for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And to be clear, this is already like, I thought we weren't even leaning into the anime thing that hard in the press release, but like it, it's still coming up. So it, this is probably a point in time for me to say, not every song is about anime. No, it is not. Let no, me tell you, not. having read the lyrics, like there's a lot of shit there that is absolutely not about anime is <laughs> kind of the underlying point that I was making by bringing this up. Like, sure. Clearly there are the songs that are about Gundam and there are the ones that are very much not. Uh, right. But the ones that are like 
it, you know, it, the band is called Colony Drop. It's it's the sort of surface level thing that is going to get projected even on the songs that are not necessarily written with that, at least from my pr- perspective. That's true. And, and, you know, for what it's worth, it, it's worth noting multiple times we've played a show and someone's come up to the merch table and said, hi, I don't even like metal. I was just on the internet this week and saw that there's a band called colony drop and they're playing. So I just came out. Do you have a t-shirt? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, have a t-shirt. Please actually watch us play. You <laughs> might like it. We're really accessible. And usually I, it's also not uncommon for those people to come up again after the set and say, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's working. And I want to, I, I do want to continue that. I think I would be probably a little remiss if Colony Drop was just quote unquote the Gundam band forever. Yeah. But uh, it's like a Jack Sparrow thing. Ah, but you have heard of me. There's right. worse things than being like, oh, you're the Gundam band I've heard of. Like, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't protest too much, especially for something I brought on myself. But yeah, I mean, I've noticed like, I was just going through the lyrics before we, we started this. And there's a lot of stuff that like, I assumed was going to be more anime oriented until I actually opened up the lyrics and looked, you know, like there's just like patient zero seems pretty aggressively just about like the COVID experience on some level. Okay. I got to uh, correct you on one second. Go I for gotta it. Be honest. Um, those lyrics were all written before COVID, which is weird. Yes. <laughs> Very strange. Literally the story behind that song is we just needed lyrics. And I thought of, Hmm, what's a bad thing that would happen? Hmm. A global respiratory pandemic sounds bad. Let me do a song about that. And then a month later, that was really weird. The patient zero experience of <laughs> like as a band was like, we, there was like a text that we were like, Joseph, stop writing about bad things. <laughs> it's weird that you called this. I'm like, you're not here trying to fall asleep thinking about like, why did I write that song? Um, mm-hmm. That did happen to me. <laughs> um, but I was also like, fantasize the beast is also not an anime song as far as i could tell like that's another example of like pretty just straight up a socio-political comment you know there was actually a minute where i was trying to wrap it in attack on titan and just couldn't do it i see how you could like knowing knowing you those lyrics I, but i'm glad you didn't do that because we don't need to rehash our particular feelings about that subject but um Yes, I think you, I, I can see the similarity in, in what you were going for, but it's, it does not need to be an attack on Titan song because it's just as relevant without the illusions, you know? Yeah. The, that, the, the thing that cracked that song for me is I saw one of the posters for John Carpenter's the thing I went on like a, during COVID, I went on like a kick for John Carpenter's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I watched it like five times in one week. Weird. Damn. Weird. I know. I don't know. I, it's, it's, it like something about that movie spoke to me then and continues to speak to me more as an adult. But there was like a, an old poster for it. And the tagline was man is the coldest place to hide. Hmm. And I was like, 
that's a fucking idea. And that's what like cracked those lyrics and like seeing that poster was like, fuck the attack on Titanus. It's not needed. Like kick your theme to the curb when it's not helping. Right. That was the lesson there was like, get rid of it. Who cares? Right. Like this is an idea that, that works. Now I did. That song was really hard to write. That was the hardest one to write for me. Cause it's one of those weird, it's not on the one songs so like uh-huh. timing the vocals for it live is like fucking impossible <laughs> so i don't like performing it it's a good song i just don't i don't enjoy performing it so you mentioned like abandon the theme when it doesn't work for you so what does the theme do when it does work for you in cases like you know brace like the opening track or the closing track in particular that are like very aggressively gundam theme sure what does that give you as a as a lyricist so i think like the big advantage of fiction is and maybe of like fictional universes right and you and i have on our other podcast yelled a lot about how we feel about marvel (laughs) right yeah and that's true i'm not i'm not trying to give disney marvel a fucking out here because fuck them but I do think maybe we missed one thing in our critiques and that is having a fleshed out fictional universe gives you a really rich canvas to paint over with your personal feelings and worldviews mm-hmm. and it still be cohesive. Right. right. That's the, that's the real advantage I think. And that it doesn't need to be fiction. It can be any kind of theme. Right. But the, the great thing about Mobile Suit Gundam or, or Jojo's Bizarre Adventure or Evangelion or anything else is it, 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 when it's really well made, it does kind of become like a blank screen. And you can just like project your feelings onto it about a social subject. And as long as it still fits on the screen, so mm-hmm. to speak, or fits into the milieu of the fictive universe, you kind of have a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. I think. So like Brace for Impact is like, is really like a song about, it's not that different from the guillotine. That's a, that's a class consciousness problem. Right. Song. Uh-huh. Right. But it, it gives me like a window into um, how can I get this into someone's minds if they're not, trying to have that conversation right and it also like gives me a window into how can i become the character when i don't not don't believe in the lyrics they're my lyrics i believe in them but it's like if i find something emotional and personal and meaningful to me and i find a way to tie that into the lyrics it lets me be the character even if i'm saying something fucking ridiculous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and that's that's really important because if I don't believe it, why, why, why am I fucking doing it? Like it's fucking, no one else is going to fucking buy into it. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you have to believe it 110% for anyone else to believe it basically right. at all. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the advantage. That's the advantage of having like anime, like a theme or China Evil's fictive works as a theme and you know, I've thought about creating our own IP quote unquote, or like 
what's something like being more imaginative, my own personal fictional universe. And I like that idea because I do write fiction, even if a lot of it isn't published um, because I don't submit it. Uh, But like, I think about doing that. However, if no one's familiar with it, that defeats the purpose. There's no ease of access for them. That's, that's what makes it advantageous in music. Right. It's being able to access like a common set of shared images and like piggyback on those implications to the yep. listener's ear. You know, it's, it's a back door into people's consciousnesses. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing I was trying to explain. And I, I am not the first to do that. There's also a long tradition of that. But. Right. Well, I do think in heavy metal, it's kind of weird because there's a lot of the sort of book report uh, style, you know, like we talked about, like, obviously we both love Iron Maiden, but I don't think you learn much about Steve Harris through his interpretation of Dune, you know, for example, like it's just, well, he did read that book (laughs) partway through at least, you know, you're right. And honestly, I think that's maybe sort of one of the big critiques of Iron Maiden, weirdly enough, is like in retrospect, I don't get a lot of sense of what Steve Harris's worldview is from the music. I get more of it from the Paul Diano years, from the punker years. Like I get I get like a real sense of like urban alienation from that. And then from like Power Slave on. I mean, you get it in the song Power Slave. Like, in the song Power Slave, I get, like, a real sense of, like, my mortality weighs on me. Yeah, which is also true of, like, Hallowed Be Thy Name. There's, like, a a certain kind of, like, Iron Maiden songs about mortality that remain good and true, and there's clearly a point of view there. But then there's also just, like, I looked at the title of a a book and thought it was kind of cool, and now it's a song. Right. (laughs) absolutely absolutely true that's certainly not in where eagles dare or um the loneliness of a long distance runner or heaven can wait (laughs) well no but that's another mortality jam in its own way but it's like the haha i know i I escaped this time (laughs) there's there's a certain metalhead phenomenon of scrolling through paramount plus and seeing how many fucking movies you never want to watch share a title with an iron maiden song (laughs) it is a weird recurring experience so as long as we're talking about references, I got to ask you about the, uh, the, the Thomas Pinchon reference in your artist bio. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> I only did that cause I love you. You know that, right? <laughs> um, has anyone else called you out on that or am I the first one to, to pick up on that? Uh, our label head, when he was looking over the, the press release, is like, you don't need this first sentence. And I'm like, just leave it in, man. It matters for some. It counts for something. I would oh, say. Let me have my satisfaction. Clearly, it isn't hurting anything. Yeah. <laughs> I did that uh, just for you, Ian. Aww. It's all for you, Ian. It's all for you. <laughs> <laughs> but so, has you, you're kind of alluding to the fact that the reception has been pretty good for this record, at least so far. That surprisingly, yeah, a, I, a Thomas Pinchon reference has not hurt the brand, at least. People seem into it. Which is, I mean, I don't know what to expect anymore. That's another thing you get from years of being a fucking metal blogger is like, you'll hear something and you'll think, 
this band's going to open for Metallica. Nope. Mm-hmm. And then you'll hear something. You'll be like, this is the most fucking generic shit I've ever fucking heard. This is fucking, they phoned every piece of this in. And then uh, you're, you're opening for, I don't know, fucking incantation. Um, right. I don't well, know. That's a long way from opening for Metallica for what it's worth, but yeah, I, but who I gets to open point. for Metallica? Like, yeah, yeah. It, well, I would say opening Fire Maiden, but to open Fire Maiden, you just need to be one of Steve Harris's kids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how has the response been? I, I also saw that like you, you guys have been playing a ton of shows and it seems to be going well from that front. You've played with a bunch of fucking cool bands so far at the very least. So sure. Yeah. I mean, the reception's been good. I don't even, I, is there an art to like addressing your own reception? I think it requires a certain social grace that I haven't really whittled down. Um, cause I've never had to do it before. So you've got me on my back foot. The reception's been positive. I'm happy about that. Um, mm-hmm. we got to open for Ludicra and Yob. That was great. That was our most recent show, and it went really well. I'm trying not to be like one of these like egotistical fucking people on a podcast, but I think we're like generally good live, which just comes from rehearsing your ass off. I, there's no secret to that. Like, I, it, not that anyone like needs advice from me or wants it, but if you do the advice is rehearse your fucking ass off, Mm -hmm. which we do. I guess I would say also that a lot of the things that I was nervous about have wound up either being non-issues or, or opening doors. Like, could you name an example? Yeah. Well, we already talked about like the anime thing. Like I was Mm -hmm. really nervous going like into like putting the press release out, to the point where like I did downplay the Gundam thing, I think, because I was like, people don't know what this is. It's going to be alienating. Um, you and I like anime. However, I think we're both consciously aware that people who love anime of a certain age and gender presentation have a sometimes deserved reputation of being fill in the blank. Yeah. Uh, hard to deal with. <laughs> uh, Troublesome. Yeah. In a couple ways, I'm doing my best to fix it. I can't, but like it, like I was very conscious. I'm like, there's going to be a certain like subset of people who like read the word anime and click off. Yeah. It's over. Right. It's over. It's done. Right. So that made me nervous. You know, putting the clean singing out there is nervous. I think we're coming off of a long stretch in metal where theatricality even though people like respect it in the old heads is not necessarily welcomed for a new band and we're Mm. a little theatrical in our presentation it's a little colorful i'm probably like the most like hard metal looking dude in the in the band which is a weird position for me to be in Mm -hmm. so all of those were considerations going into it where I thought, you know, expect your friends to like it and your friends to say they like it. No offense, friends <laughs> expect your friends to say they like it. And a couple nerds 
And that's about it. That's about all I had going, going into it, but being good live helps. And I think the lyrical themes have opened things up to people who otherwise wouldn't have paid attention into our credit. And especially this goes out to my bandmates who are spectacular. They're great at their instruments, perfectionistic and, and really, really, really convicted performers. Mm-hmm. And I think that counts for a lot. I think you can see it in the photos. I know you can see it when we do it live. And I think you can hear in the performances too, that it's like this, there's like, there's like a permutation of the idea of this band that is bad. That is like straight up fucking corny and fucking terrible. And it doesn't work unless like the skeleton is like just a great fucking metal band. Right. Like all of this stuff that we've been talking about, the reason that I think a lot of going back to the beginning of the idea of the disposable lead singer is if that core thing isn't there for the singer to then elevate, then you're completely fucked, you know? Totally. And you're, you're absolutely right. And, and there's a lot of, um, it's easy to not have that and it's easy to lose it. Mm -hmm. Cause like, it's all about, A, a, um, a band is a group of individuals in a room. And that seems like oversimplistic, but like really look at the implications of that. And people don't, it is these four or five or three or however many number of individuals in this room at this time, that is what the band is. And if that doesn't work, in my opinion, nothing else fucking does. Mm-hmm. Right. So you switch one person out and it's like a diff- I love ACDC ACDC with Bon Scott versus ACDC with Brian Jones are I like both of those bands but they are different bands mm-hmm. to me like one is a kick-ass criminal punk band and the other is a kind of garagey gl- glam band that had one really fucking good record and then no more ideas <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's why Led Zeppelin didn't go on with another fucking drummer is because like for all the problems with those people, they recognize that they're like, no John Bonham, no Led Zeppelin. It doesn't work. Sorry. Right. I I feel the same way about Pink Floyd with the division bell, which is like a record I like, but it's John Waters isn't on the division bell, right? John Waters, Roger Waters. Listen, John Waters isn't on it either for what it's worth, but (laughs) Pink Floyd should reunite with John Waters on bass. Um, (laughs) I would see that. I would hate it, but I would see it. But you see, you see my point, right? right? No, David Gilmore and Roger Waters. No, Pink Floyd doesn't matter to me. So I, I know that I'm asking this kind of late in the podcast compared to when this sort of question usually comes up. And how did you link up with these individual people? Cause like I've always heard of this band as kind of fully formed from you. And I, sure. yeah, I haven't, I've only met one of the members briefly and made kind of an ass of myself. Uh, but who did um, you meet? I don't remember this. I met Ryan after Turian played at Northwest terror fest. And oh, you uh, didn't make an ass of yourself. Don't worry about that. Yeah, I was just like, a bit too awkward for my own personal taste, but 
you know, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> the Terror Terror Fest is an awkward place, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um, it's about everyone getting over their awkwardness together as one. No, so really briefly, I was in another band years ago with Ben Burton as the drummer. Mm-hmm. I knew Ben as a drummer. And I knew him through the guitarist in that band. So like, I, I just kind of met him for the first time in a practice space. And um, I just thought of him as like, oh, he's like a cross punk drummer. Whatever. Nice guy. Smart guy. Um, and then one day I went into the practice space and he was on guitar. No one else was around. And he was playing like, I think it was Carnal Forge by, Har- by Carcass. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. On the album Heartwork. And doing the Bill Steer solo, by the way, like he like I came in as he was like ending the riff and going into the solo and he sort of like bashfully like turns the guitar off and he's like, shouldn't be playing other people's equipment. And I was like, carcass. And he's like, you caught like 10 seconds of that. I'm like, but carcass. Yes. Correct. And he's like, yep glad you like it and awkwardly sort of like goes back behind the drum kit. And I'm like, I'm like mental note, better guitarist than drummer would love to be in a band with him as guitarist. Mm-hmm. And for that band's first show that never wound up happening, he brought in Ryan to play session bass. I knew Ryan from Turian at that point in time. Turian was a bullet hell grind band. Not the case I, anymore, but I can see how they got there. Uh, that makes sense to me. Makes sense. I knew, I knew Turian as like the closest thing to discordance axis we had in Seattle mm-hmm. and as an underrated band, still true. But Ryan came in to play bass and Ryan, and I got along, but that band dissolved and I didn't hear from either of them for months, nor did I reach out. And then one day Ryan texts me and he's like, yo, I'd like to hang out. Okay. I'd like to hang out too. I miss you too. We didn't wind up hanging out because we just kept texting. And Ryan says, hey, I don't want to sing in Turian anymore. Do you want to sing? You'd have to try out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'd love to. And Ryan says, here's the catch. We're going to go on tour. Can you tour? No. I can't. So Ryan's like, okay, well, that's a shame because I think you'd be a great fit. But if you can't tour, we should probably just not even have you audition. I said, Mm. okay, let's just hang out. But if you're ever going to do something that doesn't tour, call me. And I think it's like four hours later, I get this text from this like, actually, I have this riff tape from when I was in college of stuff that is not touring stuff. He's like, all I was listening to was like Wolverine blues and carcass surgical steel. Ding, ding. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, I want to hear that. Listen to the riff tape once called him back and said, I'm in. We should get Ben to do drums. So we text Ben and Ben's like, listens to the riff tape. Ben says, I'm in, but. I'm not playing drums. I'm going to be a guitar twin guitar. And we're like sick. We have a band, but we have no drummer. So we'll never be get to play. So <laughs> goodbye. Love you guys. 
let's just hang out as friends then. But I'm sad that we won't be able to be a band together. And then it's like a week later, two weeks later, we still haven't hung out. We're still like planning, hanging out. We haven't hung out yet. We're mostly like trying to find a time to get coffee together. And Ryan's like, I just met a drummer. He just moved back to town. He isn't in a band. He likes grindcore. This guy? Yeah. Did you get his number? I got his number. Call him. Like, we'll have him try out. We'll be. <laughs> so we like kind of tried to like tough guy Eric. He plays like 10 minutes of the riff tape. And we're like, step in the hallway for a second, please. Door, door closed and we're like okay so he's the guy right yeah we fucking love yeah get it back <laughs> yeah come in here they're like hey, hey sit back down sit back down kid we love you let's do it all again and then it's like okay we're a band and then next Thursday yeah next Thursday it's been every Thursday night for four and a half years mm-hmm. something and that's how the band happened we, we hooked up with Ari later but like, I'm sorry. I feel like it took too long for me to tell that story. No, I but, mean, that was the, the story. You know, it was not the condensed version, but that's fine. Like, that's the real, like, I do feel like the band is, it's funny to think of the band as something that forms while you're struggling to find a time to hang out as adults. <laughs> you know? It's weird, right? <laughs> and like, weirdly fast. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a serious, like, moment where I was like, God damn, we'll never get a drummer. People go years without finding a good drummer. They could also just give me a call, though. I, here, do you want to move to Seattle to be in? <laughs> no, I, I'm a, not saying ten you. Minute I'm take. saying one could, in some other city, give me a call. <laughs> That's true. Look, if Eric ever can't make a tour, I know I would I'm have calling. To, I would have to bust my ass. My feet are not that fast, but I will try. I'm working on it. His weren't at the start. Like it's that's another thing that like is worth noting. We were not good enough to play these songs when we started rehearsing. Mm -hmm. Like the initial idea was me be the bassist, and like I heard the riff tape once. I'm like I'm already not good enough, and we auditioned multiple bassists, some of them from known bands that I will not talk about. But Mm -hmm. we auditioned multiple bassists who like could not play it, and that was the less complex version of the material we have now. Right, like. It was, we couldn't play heart wrench at the start of practice for the first six months because we all had to get warmed up enough to go that fast for three minutes. Right. And now that song is like kind of boring. Uh-huh. Cause from the player's perspective, from a player's perspective, not from, but from us like doing it, it's like, wow, we fucking know how to do heart wrench. It's not challenging. I feel like a lot of people don't get to have that experience, but I wish they could. I, I want people to be able It's there is a weird satisfaction to hearing your own music and being like, ah, I could do better. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? What would you want to do better on a future colony drop album? Like where, where, where would you want to take it next? I don't know where we are because we're halfway through writing the second record, but mm-hmm. let me say this. I think if I have a critique of brace for impact, it's that it sounds like exactly what it is, which is a bunch of songs that people jammed on for a long time and then figured out how do we make an album out of it? Mm-hmm. It wasn't written as 
what's something that's going to sound cohesive and tell like an arcing feeling from start to end. It's not that. Mm -hmm. So album two, I'm kind of like, it's going to be like a real fucking, like you think about what's a band that leveled up from album one to album two. Like Metallica. First band, right? It's exactly fucking right. It's the first thing you think of. And it's the same problem with Kill 'em All. Is Kill 'em All is like we wrote a bunch of fucking songs as like dirtbags drinking beer in a fucking garage. They're about mm. punching your buddy in the face and laughing about it. Sick. <laughs> Let's have fun. And I think Brace for Impact has like a lot of that energy too. And then like right. Ride the Lightning is like, hello, we have thoughts about death. <laughs> we we have looked around the studio and it turns out there are acoustic guitars here <laughs> there are sound effects you know like what suppose we had dynamics yeah exactly have right. you considered that suppose we presented something that was a little whoosh, mm-hmm. cinematic here's my ring light and i flick my hair back and forth right same idea so that's what i'm going into the second record with is like what if we did something kind of serious? Uh-huh. It seems fucking ridiculous for me saying that as I'm yelling about <laughs> sounding like I'm in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. But like Well, but I mean, hey, I, I feel like that's also part of the anime thing is like you can be both totally bonkers and sort of serious at the same time, you know? Right. Like that's that's kind of the special sauce of of a lot of the shit that we that we talk about on our other podcast is like it's insane but it's also like it means a lot to me <laughs> if it doesn't make you feel something it's not really worth your time all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so if you can't do that to like if it doesn't if you're not trying to do that it's one thing to like attempt that and fail and i think there's a lot of like honor in that and I, when we were like doing this stuff, I fully expected for it to like fail to connect. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, we're just going to try. Try our best. Right. But I think it's very different for someone to put a lot of calories and time and emotion and all this and money and all this other stuff. And like, here, let, let's make like a piece of art. And it's like, it, it, does it, does it make people feel anything? No. And that's not even really what we're trying to do. Like I have trouble respecting that mm-hmm. I can, but I have trouble with it. Maybe that's my ultimate critique, right? It's like make people feel things. Feeling things is good. Right. Mm-hmm. Feel more things. It's a really simplistic worldview, but why not? So I, I'm trying this new thing with the podcast where I end by, since I usually in the early part of the podcast, ask people how they begin doing the particular thing that I'm interviewing them about. I'm curious, like what would you say to the version of you just starting to sing in bands? Like, all, you can go all the way back to high school. You can go to the, the beginning of being in Colony Trop. Like, looking backwards on past versions of Joseph, like, what lessons from where you're standing now would you give to yourself? That's really difficult to answer because, like, if you... If I had the answers to the questions I had then, I wouldn't have gone to the effort of trying to find the answers. And I think the effort of trying to find those answers is a lot of what made 
the quality of the album what it is. Mm-hmm. Is that like too circuitous to say? Well, you could give yourself a cone to move along on that journey, if not necessarily the answers, but like Do what? You- Oh, How a, a cone, put- a cone like a Zen thing. For me, I was yeah. thinking like a doggy cone. <laughs> well, I was thinking like, sometimes you need to give that to yourself in the past too, in my experience. But <laughs> sometimes I think you've tried to give me one of those in the present, and I've just <laughs> nodded off, um, as opposed to <laughs> sleeping nodded off. I nod right. like with my teeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> explain the joke, thereby removing its power. How's this? Practice is good first and second don't worry so much about what people you don't know might think of a thing however don't not worry about it at all either does does that it's a balance yeah it's it's got to be like it's you need to like Considering the audience is good, it's not bad. Like the idea that like art is a purely self-expressive thing is in a weird way, I think like anti-humanist mm-hmm. also doesn't work. I think that's how you get people with vocals washed in reverb that make no sense. However, making yourself sick over, do I sound ridiculous is not a good use of your time either. You could spend that time getting better at being ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you just go. Be that- a, just be a better kind of ridiculous. <laughs> That's the nugget that I think we were looking for there. Be a better kind <laughs> of ridiculous. <laughs> just put that on a t-shirt. That t-shirt won't sell. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm very happy to hear that there's another colony drop record already in the works. I really like the album that's already out. It's been a lot of fun sort of seeing bits and bobs of it come together from the sidelines. So to finally see it out in the world is very gratifying to me as both a friend and also a fan of riffy, fun, heavy metal. So thank you for, you know, bringing that dream to reality. It's very cool to hear. That's really joyous to hear from you, Ian. Thank you so much. I, and I I hope the listeners enjoyed this conversation. Sorry if I've been sappy it's not like me just listen to the record it's songs about blowing up the planet and tentacle monsters fucking people it's like it's really quite fun <laughs> no it's this yeah again this is this is the anime shit that i want i want both the uh the tentacle eroticism and the sappy you know heartfelt messages like i ca- you can't do it without both the the trick is the tentacle eroticism needs to be like sentimental and heartfelt. That's the hardest part is like, <laughs> is being like, okay, this is vaguely obscene and absolutely absurd. Can I make this like a good love song? Right. Yeah. I can try. It's worth trying. It is worth trying. And thank you for joining me on this conversation. I'm sure that, you know, if you're, if you're going for gold, I'm sure I'll have you back at some point. Um, and we'll definitely have more conversations on our other podcast, the human instrumentality podcast, uh, in the near future. I can't promise exactly when, but we do have stuff in the works. 
Listen, album's out. I'm about to be done getting married. This is the next thing on my list. I'm sorry it's taken so long. Honeymoon, who cares? Anime podcast, here we come. (laughs) The anime podcast doesn't cost as much as a honeymoon, which means I don't need to save up for it. (laughs) All right. Again, thank you for coming on. Great talking to you, dude. Love you, dude.